Hello, and welcome to this edition of the EV Revolution Show audio podcast. With your host, Kenneth Bocor. This is episode 49, recorded on June 9th, 2023. This episode of the EV Revolution Show is sponsored by File Sanctuary. Need a great web host for your business? Need to get email at yourdomain.com? They provide professional, feature-rich web and email hosting for any project you have in mind. Get started today at filesanctuary.net forward slash cloud and save 10% with promo code EVREVSHOW. All right, and welcome to this edition of the EV Revolution Show. As you heard, my name is Kenneth Booker, your host, and thank you very much for taking the time to listen to this podcast out of your busy schedule. Uh, as you folks know, I'm always hunting the globe, scouring the globe for smart people that uh, have some bearings in the EV industry. And I'm very happy to introduce uh, Mr. Haled Hasuna. He's the CEO and founder of Ample. Good afternoon, sir. How are you? Great. Great. Nice to talk to you, Ken. Great. Well, thanks for taking the time out of your busy schedule to join me. Uh, on this call. Um, now, a lot of people are probably going, Ample? Who's Ample? I've never heard of them. And, you know, it's 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 a really cool story that you guys have. And, and uh, that's why I wanted to feature, feature you on this episode. Maybe we could start out, um, Haled, by uh, introducing and providing a quick overview on who is Ample and what, what's the company all about? Absolutely. Absolutely. And thanks for the opportunity. Uh, so Ample really is a battery swapping company. Uh, I'm sure different people have heard of battery swapping one way or the other, uh, either through companies that succeeded or that failed or and have people have preconceived notion. Uh, and in a way, we're a battery swapping company that focuses on getting energy into electric cars by moving the battery in uh, in, a, in a physical manner. Um, and uh, but we do it in a way that's maybe fundamentally different than how traditionally it's been done. So we have our own innovation about how we think about it. And we kind of pioneered what we call modular battery swapping that allows mm-hmm. us to have uh, batteries broken into modular pieces. And hence, uh, we can use the same battery in different vehicles and rearrange it. But at the core of it, we're a battery swapping company that aims to get 100% charge in five minutes simply by swapping the battery in. And we know how important the movement is for mass consumer adoption, right? To bring that charging experience down to more like a, you know, filling up a gas tank experience that we're used to doing for a hundred or so years in that five or 10 minute time slot. So that is sometimes a challenge when I'm talking to consumers out there is they don't, well, I don't want to sit for 20, 30, 40 minutes, whatever it is, yeah. you know, uh, OEMs are doing a pretty good job at advancing battery technologies along with battery cell makers and manufacturers. To, to you know change chemistries uh, upping it to 800 volt architectures all this kind of stuff to bring those charging at times much lower uh, but battery swapping is certainly a technology that's been proven you know we look at China and some of the brands that have been doing that you know I'm hearing millions of swaps up now so you know certainly the technology works um what's your go-to-market strategy then you're you're a bay area based right as an organization and you're looking to start this in north america and other parts of the world correct uh, that's that's correct so our um approach and i'm sure we'll talk more about mm-hmm. that as we progress in our conversation but our our approach is to make battery swapping as fast cheap and convenient as gas right so as, mm-hmm. as you described gas worked for 100 years we all know that if if it wasn't for 
pollution, environmental kind of concerns, I mean, there's no reason to stop using gas. It's just perfect. I mean, we all ra- run our, our life as ra- around it. Mm-hmm. Um, and the challenge with charging is that now suddenly you create a dependency on having to upgrade all of the grids across the globe to be able to deliver massive amounts of energy in a short period of time, increasingly, even as the energy density of the battery improves, that's going to need to get harder and harder, actually, rather than easier. So in, in a way, um, uh, our when we looked at it ourselves, we said, we want to make it as fast, cheap, and convenient as uh, gas, uh, and hence, um, uh, uh, our approach was make it as easy for the OEMs to integrate as possible so that they have to uh, not modify a single thing in their vehicle. Uh, it's literally just a drop and replacement of the original battery. So you either buy a swappable car or a non-swappable car. And we had, you talk about uh, uh, a kind of go-to-market strategy. We have always, every time you introduce a new way to deliver energy into something, you have the chicken and egg problem, right? Mm-hmm. If, if there is no one is buying the device that you're going to deliver energy to, you can't justify building the infrastructure. And if you don't have the infrastructure, no one will buy the device that you're going to deliver energy to. So you always have that. Hydrogen has the same problem. Electric mm-hmm. has the same problem. Gas initially had the same problem. Um, and 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 the way we solved it is we picked our our egg, right? And we said, um, OEMs are very smart business people. If you can prove that the customer wants it, then they will come along. And at the same time, make it very easy for them to adopt it. So we focused mm-hmm. on fleets initially. We said, let's first get fleets um, started, right? And that strategy paid off because when we proved that this actually is a lot easier, simpler to scale EV um, uh, and, and make it actually work for their use cases, then the OEMs paid attention. And now we're actively working with a number of them to integrate the vehicle. So our approach is you start with that and then you work with the OEMs to integrate at the factory. So you would actually go buy cars with ample technology mm-hmm. from a dealer or directly from the OEM and we build the infrastructure for you to deliver energy. Great. Well, I'm glad you you uh, brought that up because that was one of the questions I was going to ask. Is kind of diving into the weeds a little bit uh, on the technical side is how that that all works. And um, and and I want to follow up on that. But also, I know that your stations are modular in design. They can be deployed and implemented uh, very quickly, and they can grow. Uh, and you can put them into many many different spots. Um, I guess that that really helps. Um, uh, tackle the big picture and and accessibility, right? You know, adding uh, wider uses. You know, we know that people that live in big urban cities and in in high-rise condos, I'm always getting asked, well, how how am I going to charge my EV? Is that, that's very important model for yourselves as well? A hundred percent. I mean, when we say as as fast, cheap, and convenient as gas, when we say fast, we don't only mean that you can deliver energy fast. We think that's important. It's not the only thing that's important. What's important is going to be how quickly can you build infrastructure? Um, and there's a lot of variables that go into that, which is mm-hmm. which sites are available for you to deploy that infrastructure? How much power will you need in these sites in order to build the infrastructure? The more power you need, the harder it's going to be to find them, or it's going to take months and months, if not years, to get it to get it there. Um, and uh, how many sites are going to be easy for you to, to deploy. And so to your point, kind of, we built our stations so they're modular, especially with the new announcement of the new swapping station. We literally can build in three days. Just mm. build it at the factory, test it, break into three pieces, ship it in a container, put it on the ground, connect it, and you have a station, right? We don't dig in the ground. Um, uh, so it's really very, very fast. So as long as you have a piece of land in three days, you can get a station that can deliver 100% charge in five minutes, mm-hmm. uh, which typically takes months, for any other solution, 
But the other thing is our power requirement is considerably lower, right? Because we separate recharging the batteries from putting energy in the car. So we can put energy in a car very quickly in a matter of minutes, but then we can slowly charge a battery if there is less, less power. And that's particularly important to the point you're making around the big cities. Big cities is where we need the fastest transition to happen. But the challenge is where it's the highest density and where people park in the on the street or live in condo buildings and where you have less power. And you have almost all the reasons why charging will be challenging. I mean, God bless their hearts, the charging companies are trying to solve their problem and they're doing a good job and we want them to. Mm -hmm. uh, but also at some point we have to meet these use cases. If I live park in the street, I need to be able to own an electric car and not have to wait for a long time, but also have availability of infrastructure. And that's what we're hoping to enable. So while we're focusing on fleets, we know that it's just a Trojan horse for us to create infrastructure. So very soon we'll be able to allow these use cases to, to, to really make a transition very quickly. Yeah, it definitely makes uh, total sense. So I'm understanding then that these um, swapping stations will be, for lack of, of better terminology, uh, plugging into the grid in a regular manner. So without the needs of the the, the, the large cost and time for you know uh, the, building huge transformers and power equipment and, and everything that goes along with the normal DC fast charger stations that we see today that are deployed by uh, by operators, but basically trickle charging from the grid. You fill up all these batteries. You have some battery storage, and then you're obviously uh, you're, you're swapping packs as you're going, and, but you have enough to keep a really good inventory so that you always, you always have availability, and these are constantly being charged. Am I reading that correctly? That kind of uh, uh, absolutely, mm -hmm. absolutely. And and listen, at some, one somewhere in the grid, you're going to need some kind of buffering, and, mm -hmm. and people typically put big batteries that are separate than the batteries put in the car, and that doubles the cost. Right. In our case, not. For our genius, but just as a uh, inherent property of battery swapping, is that the buffering is built into the delivery. Meaning, mm -hmm. the battery you're gonna put in the car is your static storage, and hence mm -hmm. you don't need additional storage. So you just charge it slowly or fast, depending on how much energy is available, mm -hmm. um, and uh, and then you can deliver the energy to the car effectively. I mean, our swapping speed means that we're putting energy in the car in the effective capacity of 600 kilowatt to a megawatt. Right, that's an effective speed, right? So uh, but without really having to charge battery at 600, we don't need high voltage. We don't need the complexity. We don't need the cost. We don't need the grid to support it. We still charge at 100 kilowatts, right? So in a way, it gives you that advantage. One other thing that I think is worth touching on since we're talking about kind of this, this subject is the reason electric is important is not because it solves the problem, but it's because it paves the way for us solving the problem. What I mean by that is that if we all drive electric cars tomorrow, but we get the energy from coal-powered power plants, we haven't solved the problem, right? The electric itself is not a solution. It just makes it possible for you then to, once every, uh, enough people are driving electric, to turn around and say, okay, now let's get our energy from the sun and the wind, right? Or, or nuclear or whatever the flavor is, right? Um, so that's kind of what makes it possible. And I think the challenge with the charging model we're going to follow is that it's going to have an unpredictable demand because you don't know when people are going to plug in to ask for 300 kilowatts and then that's incompatible with a sun that's shining continuously over time right. and hence you need to store the energy so in a way part of what we're doing also is we're allowing ourselves to pick and choose when we charge these batteries and that allows us to hopefully as more and more renewable energy becomes available to transition a lot faster to that yeah an interesting point I will challenge you, though, that there is science that still proves that the, the total carbon impact 
for the, the life cycle of EVs, even if you're generating electricity through coal, is still lower than internal combustion vehicles from even including the mining to the operations to the destruction, or in this case, the recycling of many of the battery packs, especially in the last several years, that technology. So that, that's a concern I get from a lot of consumers as well. You know, if, if, I, if I'm living in Poland or whatever, all my energy comes from coal, the life cycle of that, even with that, is still lower as a carbon impact. There's a lot of science on that, so I'm not making. No, no, I agree, I agree. I, I'm not, I'm not mm -hmm. hitting on charging as much as mm -hmm. saying we can do it even better. Exactly. <laughs> oh, for sure, we can do everybody. And you're absolutely right. You know, we need to be increasing the use of renewables and figuring out ways to do that because um, this transition is a is a decades long transition, right? It's not happening overnight. So we do need to figure things out as we go. But you make some some great points. So, so you've got your, your station set up. Um, it's going to have you know, quite a large uh, uh, storage capacity, a, a large number of batteries. Um, can we dig a little bit into that? So you mentioned that, that the, you're working with OEMs to have vehicles that will be outfitted with ample battery uh, technology to allow for the swapping. And that's what I wanted to hone in on a little bit because I was trying to understand if you're gonna support almost any EV out there, they've all got unique architectures, unique, I mean, they all fasten kind of similar and have that, but they're all different shapes and sizes. Um, so maybe you can explain how that works for us. Sure. sure. I mean, I, I think the best way uh, to describe it is to use an analogy that we're very familiar with, right? Double uh, A's battery format is a is a massively successful format, right? Mm -hmm. You can put it all the way in, a, you can put two of them in a remote control and you can put um, uh, four of them in a toy or, um, three of them kind of arranged completely different in a flashlight. So in a way, if you think about it, it's the same battery, but in completely different applications. Now, luckily, cars are not that different as much as a, a, a toy and a remote control and a flashlight. But that gives you kind of an idea, which is you build your battery, you uh, uh, um, make sure that it, it's reliable, it works well, it's smart, it's um, uh, 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 safe. And then you just design your enclosure differently. So when we, every time we work with a new vehicle, uh, we simply work with the OEM. So we don't touch a vehicle unless we're working with the OEM. That to us was a, an important factor day one. But then we get from the OEM simply their CAD files. They've already worked hard to design how this battery fits into this vehicle. We build what we call an adapter plate, mm -hmm. uh, which has the same shape, same attachment points mechanically, same connector in the front, same software interface. Um, as the original battery. So it's a drop-in replacement. And within it, we define how many of our modules we can fit based on the size of the car and, and how they get arranged. So what that allows us to do is to kind of work on 80% of the complexity in designing a very reliable battery module. And then 20% of the work, or even less actually in most cases, just building this adapter plate that's generally fairly simple and where we understand the parameters of how to build them very quickly. And that allows us, mm -hmm. I mean, we work with, we integrated and they went, uh, with 20 different car models already, and we haven't had to change a single thing on any of these vehicles, exactly the same car. Hmm, interesting. Yeah, I've seen some of the video that you guys have and pictures and been on the website, watch, look at the YouTube stuff. So it's very interesting. So obviously, yeah, the car will have its pack and you're not dropping the entire pack out and putting an entire new pack in. You're taking a majority of that pack. You know, you've got your front end with, with the... The, the high voltage connectors and everything that stays put, but there's a module approach as you, as you mentioned with that adapter that you'll that you'll work with the OEM to design that packaging. The cells that they're using are still the same. You're not asking them to change any of that, correct? 
Uh, I mean, we, uh, so that's kind of one of the advantages is that one of the challenges OEMs face today is that they have to make very hard choices about cell technology, right? Mm -hmm. And often make major investments. Now, the challenge is that every OEM thinks they're going to, I hope none of the OEMs hear this, but I think they know that already. Every OEM thinks they're going to invest in the best um, battery technology or cell chemistry, mm -hmm. uh, but that's impossible. Not everybody's going to have the best, right? One right. of them is going to have the best and everybody's going to have behind. So the challenge is that they have make, to make major decisions about investment years in advance when we're going to introduce vehicles. Mm -hmm. uh, and then they're stuck with it to a great degree because the car is built to work with that chemistry. So for us, that was important because also when you think about swapping, you have the added challenge of you have pools of batteries already in the field and you just kind of, you'll have to be compatible and suddenly you're stuck into a certain chemistry. So we actually end up innovating in that area in a way that allows us not just to solve the problem, but make our solution very advantageous to the OEMs in the sense that we've designed our modules so that they have a layer of power electronics in them that allows them to abstract the chemistry from the car. So regardless of the characteristics of the battery cell chemistry that's inside the module, the our module presents itself to the car to look like the original battery electrically. Same mm -hmm. voltage range, same power characteristics, etc. Effectively, the, the first problem it solves for us is we can make the same chemistry work with multiple cars. So they mm -hmm. don't really care what we have. And if we want to use their chemistry, we can do that. Mm -hmm. uh, but the adva added advantage is over time, we can introduce better chemistries without making any modification in the vehicle. So you buy a car that goes 200 miles on a charge, in two years, it could go 240 miles on a charge. And you don't mm -hmm. change anything. We just kind of put better chemistry and just the software in our modules. Interesting. Yeah. And that is kind of the silver you know, a bullet right now or, or the, the goal for a lot of the battery manufacturers is how can I pack more energy density into the same footprint or even a smaller footprint if need be? Uh, because you've only got so much physical space in the chassis of a vehicle or, or the yeah. floor of the vehicle that these batteries are going into. So as they play around with chemistries to make them, you know, less, uh, better heat resistance, uh, uh, less uh, impact on from during cold weather applications, you know, we're moving to solid state and all these graphene, graphite, you know, a lot of technologies that are moving forward. So you're positioning yourself to be able to continue um, to, to provide a solution in these changing environments uh, based, as you said, technically the way that you've deployed your solution. Yeah, that's exactly right. And we already changed our chemistry three times. And mm, okay. the same cars continue working. They just get more range, right? Which is fascinating. The other thing, you know, Ken, that's really interesting is there is a, uh, it's a double-edged sword, right? So we, all the OEMs are in a um, uh, kind of race to to s s stuff more and more kilowatt hours into the car. And right. within battery technology, what kilowatt hours mean is more weight, mm -hmm. less efficient car. So even if you're driving 20 miles a day, you're still going to get the car that drives 300 miles all the time because there's few days in the year in which you're going to need it. So, um, And I, I think one of the um, um, advantages of modularity is that you can pick and choose the size of your battery, right? Mm -hmm. So if if most of the time you need 150 miles and you're happy paying for a cheaper battery because there's less of it, and the one day you want to take a long trip, you get more battery, it's as easy as you go to the station, wait five minutes, and you can get more range, right? So mm -hmm. that flexibility means wow. we can actually reduce the amount of batteries, reduce our carbon footprint, reduce the cost for everyone. And an Amazon truck driver the moment they sit in their car, they know exactly how many miles they're going to drive that day. Why would you give them twice the range? So the way across use cases, the ability to control the size of the battery, not just how much you fill it, is going to have significant kind of 
uh, economic implications. And we're, we're, we're keeping that in our back pocket. First we deploy, first we focus, mm-hmm. uh, but then we very quickly will give the flexibility to be able to pick and choose how much battery you want. Well, that's an excellent idea. I never thought about that. And, you know, the light bulb went on when you mentioned all that. I mean, certainly, again, part of the challenge for uh, mass market EV adoption for consumers anyway, and to a degree commercial applications is the costs, the, the entry level cost of EVs, right? They haven't, we haven't seen cost parity that we're hoping to, to see sooner than later on that where, you know, there are obviously lower TCOs and returns on the, that extra investment that you make, you'll, you know, you can get that money back in three to five years on average for a consumer EV, but having the ability to, I've got a budget for X, but once in a while I need Y, that's a great story. I really, yeah. really uh, I haven't heard that before. So that's an excellent uh, model to be going after. Once, of course, you, you solidified, you know, the, the mainstream um, applications that you're going after. Um, you mentioned fleets before. So are you originally targeting then fleets with this? Because that's an easier um, audience to go after and uh, there's more standardization on fleets. Is that kind of the sense there? Absolutely. I mean, um, I would say less standardization. We're not really that as concerned with that. So it's a very important mm-hmm. point. I think we're more focused on the density of deployment. Mm-hmm. Uh, how how you roll out technology, especially when you're starting, makes a big difference, right? It's kind of the uh, the make or break of of success. And in our mind, uh, fleets are a great starting point. First. It's they have massive unmet demands. They want to transition to electric. They're getting mm-hmm. either pressure or they see the incentive. Mm-hmm. Uh, but the challenge is operational challenge. Um, it, it, charging doesn't always work with how they function or capital costs. They need to install right. charges because they don't depend can depend on public infrastructure uh, or uh, uh, upfront costs. Right to your to the point mm-hmm. we we're talking about earlier, which is the car is too expensive and maybe they don't want to pay for the battery upfront or they want to pay for for less of it. So in a way, it's, it's a perfect place to start. And there's density. We go to yeah. any one of the major cities, we can get with a few fleets, thousands, if not tens of thousands of cars deployed. And what that really allows us to do is to build the economic environment in which we can build infrastructure in a way that's profitable day one. Mm-hmm. And once we do that, once we're in the Bay Area, for example, and we're in San Jose, San Francisco, Oakland, and few towns in between, you have enough coverage that a consumer can make that transition. Mm-hmm. Uh, so anyway, that's how we think about it. You start with fleets and you end with consumer. Or you end with kind of multi-layered use case um, there, but fleet is the starting point. Yeah, and that makes total sense. I mean, I know the initial conversations around battery swapping have been with more of the commercial trucking side, you know, especially the medium to long range haul, uh, because there isn't battery uh, sizes and capabilities yet to do that. But having the ability to drive three, four, five hundred miles, stop for 20 minutes, half an hour, whatever that is. I mean, there are regulations to to mandate the the drivers have to have rest periods and things like that. Yeah. But to have that swap and then be able to go another 500k, it makes a lot of sense in those in those applications. And again, taking that into the consumer level for different reasons, um, it's a, it's certainly a great story. You mentioned that um, you're working with a lot of the OEMs. So is the goal obviously to get the majority of those OEMs on board? And do you envision that they would they would have some sort of option, let's say? So if I'm a consumer and three or four years from now I'm looking at a vehicle, I can take you know this with the, the standard ulti impact if I pick on GM, or I can take this with the optional ample um, integration. Is that how you see this rolling out? Uh, that's exactly right. Uh, I mean, I 
um, we, we don't need all of the OEMs to adopt something for it to become a viable option and prove right. its viability and allow us to deploy. So we just need a critical mass of them, which is what we feel we accomplished. Um, so we're working, I mean, we announced Fisker, but very soon we're going to be announcing a few other OEMs. Some of them are pretty significant, large players that are already deploying yeah. a very, very large number of EVs. So in a way, actually, the people who um, get most excited about Ampel are not the ones who haven't deployed cars, but the ones who deployed a lot of cars because they see the challenge and they understand what their, uh, the, the limitation of the market they can reach with their vehicle. So, uh, and the idea is, yes, we, we make it as simple, very simple for the OEM to not have to pick and choose or completely make a strategic decision. Mm -hmm. uh, there's a massive market that works for charging and there's a massive market uh, that works very well for, for swapping. There's overlap, of course, but then you can cover the whole market. So we, the consumer or the fleet will have the option to choose the model they want. Now, one of the advantages we have is that we can still charge. So um, right. even if you want to charge at home, you can have that and still mm -hmm. be able to swap. Although we think most of the value will be in the uh, other 60 to 80% of the market where they can't home charge, um, right. either their fleets or living condo buildings or, or, or customers. So so we start with a number of uh, a critical mass of OEMs. We start with the initial customers. We deploy infrastructure. And once the infrastructure is there, it becomes easier to even get more use cases and more OEMs. The reason no one thinks twice about building a gas-powered car is because there's gas stations everywhere. And mm -hmm. once you accomplish that, it becomes easy to make a transition. Yeah, absolutely. And, you know, uh, that it, times are changing. I mean, we know that charging stations are being built all over the place. There's large amounts of funding, both in the U.S. and Canada and other nations across the world that are that are pushing their climate change strategies. The U.S. ARA and everything, all the funding around that is helping to drive that. You know, 500,000 charging stations over the next this decade, kind of thing. So it's helping. But you're absolutely right. You know, to get that penetration into the urban areas to the higher density, where there is street parking or condos where they don't have the the ability to install. You know. Uh, 20 bay uh, DC fast chargers, 150 kilowatt DC fast chargers, whatever, it's just not applicable. This is a great technology to, to get that um, that base moving a lot faster. Yeah. Absolutely, and we for feel, sure. Absolutely, and we feel, you know, one of our biggest accomplishments from a policy perspective, we spent a lot of time in Washington as the IR was being cooked, mm -hmm. uh, was being baked, so to speak, um, to just kind of have the conversation and make people aware of what we're doing. And, and we feel our biggest accomplishment was being able to influence it enough so that what comes out does not pick technology winners. Instead, right. it defines what problem it needs solved and how it okay. needs it solved on a high level. Um, so the end effect is that we're, um, we qualify, we will qualify. The rules are being written, but it's very obvious from the language of the law is that we will qualify as well as a charger for the same incentives. And hence, now kind of we'll be able to build more options for, for consumers. Um, the same in California. I mean, we just got mm -hmm. a $15 million grant from uh, the CEC to help us build our battery manufacturing capacity. Okay. Uh, we're applying for more capability. So in a way, um, I think that governments are, we, we just kind of got a 10 million grant, dollar grant in, or million euro grant in um, in Spain to deploy infrastructure. So I think the, the government, if you spend the time to explain um, to lawmakers and, and executives uh, what you're trying to accomplish, I think they're trying to solve a problem. And if it solves the problem for them or for their constituents, then they're going to support it. So we've, we've had great success there, actually. No, that's fantastic. And are you looking then to to build your own modules and then 
integrate, ship them to OEMs for the final integration, or will the OEMs put, put that piece into their supply chain as well, as we're seeing them look to build, you know, inshore now battery manu uh, cell manufacturing facilities, um, build all that up yep. and even more auto uh, autos being built here in North America. Um, do you, so how do you see that integration kind of both or? So it's both. So we're building mm -hmm. our modules. We're automating the process um, uh, so that we're we're efficient where we need to be. Mm -hmm. um, and uh, we um, will be manufacturing these batteries. Now, our our factories are set up so that they're very easy to replicate. They're small. I, I'm sure you've talked a lot about micro manufacturing. We're following the same approach, modularity of manufacturing. Mm -hmm. So it's very easy for us to replicate close to where the OEMs are. Um, now, but because of what I talked about earlier, any investment goes into cells and chemistries and so we can incorporate. So it's very easy for us to kind of create the right combination so that it, it fits into the OEM strategy. So, uh, so yes, our goal, I mean, we had to design a, and innovate really a lot, quite a bit on this battery module mm -hmm. to make modular battery swapping work. And very often, I'm going to digress this for a second, uh, but very often, uh, people ask us a question of well if modular battery swapping was such a great idea why has no one done it uh and 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 the reason they haven't done it is because there's a lot of tough technical problem to yes. solve before it's possible a lot more effort <laughs> exactly so we spent the first six years of Ampel yeah. in complete stealth no one knew about Ampel. we're mm -hmm. just sitting in a garage really just solving problems right and but the advantage is that once you solve them it certainly gives you all the other advantages the same battery works in different cars we, we can get a tiny city car or a class three truck in the same station and swap it, right? So mm -hmm. it gives you kind of the ability to control battery size, et cetera, et cetera. So in a way, kind of that uh, carries over to being able to much yes. more easily manufacture close to OEMs and, and deliver batteries to them. That makes perfect sense. And just to, we're almost wrapped up on time, but another couple of questions just to kind of walk me through a, a user experience. So, you know, I've seen the videos, I've, I've seen some of the promotional stuff, but, you know, a user then that has a vehicle that has the Ample integration to it. What's that experience? Can you walk us through that whole process? Most definitely. Uh, and it, it just got a lot easier. So it's a perfect time to ask that question. Mm -hmm. uh, you drive into, uh, uh, towards the station, the station recognizes you, uh, it pings your phone, says, are okay. you here to swap? You say yes. It opens the garage or the, the station door, uh, you drive in, there's a screen there that guides you stop in car wash, kind mm -hmm. of helps you park, you park um, uh, uh, perfectly in, in place or within kind of a certain range. Uh, and then it says, okay, now you're parked correctly, do you want to swap? So it gives you kind of full control over the swapping experience. In the same app, you say, yes, I want to swap. And then it lifts the car, swap the battery, and then lowers the car five minutes later. Now, one of the things we innovated on with the new station, which we're very, very proud of, is that instead of lifting the car like you are in a garage, which typically how battery swapping is done, we actually have the whole platform go up. So if I'm sitting in the car and I like, oh, I want to use the restroom or I want to buy like a drink or 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 I want to walk my kids, you just literally walk out of the car, step down the the steps, and just go and then come back, and then when it's done, the car drives off. So. This ability to be able to come in and out of the car within these five minutes, being able to be in full control of the experience is kind of something we're shooting for. We're thinking, if you want to make this really a mass experience, it has to be convenient and easy. And, and that's what we're able to accomplish with the new station. And, and safe for consumers. So again, having all that safety element, everything combined, uh, so for that ease of use. 
once the, the, the swap is done and everything's notified and it opens up, the driver off they go. Are you looking then at some sort of subscription model for consumers or a pay-as-you-go or combination of those? Yeah, we're charging by the mile. So we want to okay. make it so easy to compare to gas. People know when they have a gas car how much they're paying per mile. Mm -hmm. And we're saying, here's how much per mile. And our commitment is that it's going to be 20% cheaper than gas. We can do that. It's easy. But still as convenient, still five minutes. Actually, a bit more convenient. No smell on your hand when you get in the car. So in a way, kind of... Yeah, no particulates in the air and all this stuff. Right? Exactly, exactly, <laughs> exactly. And you feel good about yourself having really contributed to the solution. So That's right. Uh, but it should be as cheap as... As, 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 as cheaper than gas, you pay per mile for the energy delivered. Um, and um, in addition to that, your battery, you don't pay for it upfront. So mm -hmm. when you buy the car, you actually buy the car, if technically without a battery, even though there's a battery mm -hmm. installed in it and subscribe to the battery and use it for as long as you want, right? So in a way, um, it's a way we give you a cheaper car upfront. We distribute the cost over time, which matters a lot to people. Um, and, and fleet operationally, actually. Um, and then we ensure the battery is good as new because we'll keep updating it and maintaining it and make sure it's good. Yes. Yeah. No, it's a great model. I love that. Um, just trying to look through my notes to make sure I got all the questions answered. It looks that way. So you mentioned some of the areas that you're starting to do deployments, you know, in the Bay Area and around that area in California. Uh, I think you mentioned uh, Japan is another target market and Spain, of course, you know, the areas are, and obviously uh, those are picked because they're hot markets or they're more open to this type of technology and from a, from a mindset. Is that how you're moving forward with that? Yeah, yeah. I mean, I think openness is more of a function of does it solve a problem? Mm -hmm. Is it economically viable? So I think mm -hmm. London, Paris, New York, uh, uh, Singapore are all targets. What right. we wanted to do um, uh, was to kind of have a foothold that started. We didn't want to be an American solution. We're an American mm -hmm. company, but we have a solution that will help everybody and we're collaborating with a lot of different businesses and, and organizations and governments across the world. So Spain ha is the first foothold in, in, in Europe. Once successful in Spain, we're going to expand within Europe. Um, uh, Japan is a, a, a successful foothold in Asia and, and mm -hmm. Uh, Japan is uh, as as technologically savvy as they are. They've been lagging in it, yeah. and mostly because yeah. their cities are a lot tougher. They're a lot mm -hmm. more dense. Um, parking is at a premium. Uh, power is even more scarce. So, mm -hmm. in a way, kind of it gives us to demonstrate the power in multiple different environments and just expand expand from there. Uh, sounds great. Well, listen, I, I again, I thank you very much for taking the time. I've been speaking to CEO and founder Haled Hasuna from Ample. Um, based in the Valley in, uh, sorry, yeah, San Francisco area, the Bay Area in California, uh, building technology and solutions to support five-minute charging via battery swapping for consumers and commercial elements. So I'm really excited. And folks, uh, how can folks uh, find out more information about you guys? Uh, Ampel.com. That's probably the easiest way. I mean, it's if you Google Ample, you'll find a lot of resources, <laughs> but Ample is probably easy. Yeah, and there's YouTube videos and there's all kinds of information that can show, you know, what these things look like, how that process is in more detail. So um, I would encourage uh, listeners to check you guys out. And I look forward to that one time, um, you know, once you uh, get these things going, that if I'm in the area, I'll, I'll have to go through that experience and, and have a look at it. So. Let's do it. We'll have you uh, drive once, a car and test it for yourself. Yeah, that would be awesome. I don't get to know their cows too, too often, but once in a while I do. So um, anything closing that you wanted to leave us with? Uh, no, I, I mean, I think maybe one thought mm -hmm. is very often people ask the question of, are you better than charging? 
And I think that's asking the wrong question because we're not competing with charging. We're better than the gas. We all need to be collectively better than gas. There's a massive problem needs to be solved and we need different solutions in order to address all of the use cases to really make the transition. If we're saying 100% electric in 2030, 35, 40, whatever the goal is, you can't solve part of the problem, you can't solve all of it. And we're, right. we're contributing in our lane, hoping to make a big difference there. That's a great uh, way to address that uh, that statement because you're absolutely right. Uh, I would I would hear that as well. So uh, excellent story. I wish you guys the best of luck. I'll continue to follow you guys, and uh, hopefully we can chat in another year or so and see how things have gone and get an update. Absolutely, great conversation. I look forward to it. Thank you very much. Take care. Thanks again for listening, folks. You can email me if you have comments. Email at ev revolution show at gmail.com follow me on twitter at ev rev show i'm also on instagram ev revolution show and if you uh, have any suggestions for shows please let me know thanks again for listening and please everybody stay safe and until the next time i'll see you when i see you